I was born was very up and down. It was very much my dad would be there for two years and then one day I'd come home from school and for another two years after that he was never there again and just pop in ever back ever so often to come and visit me. I remember as a child sitting at the door eagerly on the little footstool that you get to brush your teeth waiting for him, thinking, my mum was saying, your dad's coming to see you today and I'd be so excited. And sadly, it's one of them cliche things, he just wouldn't turn up. There were times he was around and those times were always centred around drinking. I even remember he took me to a school trip to Margate and I remember sitting next to him and I'm going, can I have some of your coke? And he went, no. And I was like, why? He goes, it's got vodka in it. And him and some other parents would be sitting there and they'd be drinking whilst... I thought it was my day out, Dad. So as I come a little older and I got, come to my teenage years, I come to work out who my dad was. By the age of 14, he'd left my mum permanently. And as I've come older, I've come to realise that the reason he used to go every two years is because there was other women. Um, so we were at 14, my mum and dad separated for the last time. I didn't actually think that this had an effect on me. It was only until I grew up and I looked back, I realised emotionally what my, the instability of my household did to me when I was younger. Even though my dad split up permanently at 14 with my mum, my dad would still come and see me. By that age, I was older. I was able to be his friend. Um, but at 14, that's when real changes in my life started to happen. I started to resent the influence of my mum on me. Being good and not talking about people and staying in just didn't appeal to me as a teenager. I started to resent her. I started to stop listening to her. And on that gauge, my, dad, my dad's attention started to come bigger and I could do things and have more things with him in common. As a teenager, wasn't it cool to drink with your father? Wasn't it cool that you had a dad that would allow you to drink? Wasn't it cool that your dad would go and buy you alcopops and sit there and drink till whatever time in the morning? So my, my time started and my efforts were going, going centred more around my dad. It gained his time, it gained me to his attention from him, and it gained me popularity with my friends. As my dad house, dad's house, it was full of parties. But because of the rejection I had and the abandonment I had from, with, from my dad throughout the years, I then realised I started to become a slave to popularity and fearful that my friends and him would leave me. I would participate in anything to keep them. By the age of 16, I had drunk, smoked, and sadly, I had experimented with things that no teenager should be experimenting with. At 16, though, in the midst of all of this partying that I was going through, I met my former boyfriend. And at 18, I had fallen pregnant. As soon as I found out I was pregnant, the partying stopped. My mum's influence now had all, all of a sudden come back into the action of my life. I was going to be the same mum as her. I was young, I know, but I thought, you know what, my mum loved me, she nurtured me, and I am going to do exactly the same for this child. I had read every book about parenting. I was going to make sure my standards were up higher. 
it's funny, when, you, when you're on the brink of becoming a parent yourself, you start to reflect on how your parents were with you. And I started to see my dad for who he was. I was due to have my baby on January the 12th in the year 2000. It was going to be a millennium baby. It was so exciting. But on the 10th of November in 1999, I was going for a routine checkup at my local doctor's to check the baby's heartbeat, to check my blood pressure. I remember the doctor taking my blood pressure and at the same time being on the phone to the hospital. I didn't have a clue what was going on. I remember just looking at my mum to think, why is she doing this? She's been a bit rude. Like, why is she on the phone to somebody as she's taking my blood pressure? But what I didn't realise was is that she was actually on the phone to the hospital to make sure that the surgeon was ready for when I um, was for my arrival. My blood pressure was sky high. With no time at all, I was on the operating table. And within 15 minutes, my daughter had been delivered. The nurses walked past me and presented me with her. She was the most beautiful baby I'd ever seen. I was so in love. She was rushed to the special care unit and we named her Chloe. I felt at last I would have someone that would not leave me. The love I had for her was so big, so vast, so indescribable and so amazing. At first, because I had a cesarean section, I wasn't, for the first couple of days, I couldn't come out of my bed. It was just too painful to move. She was in special care, but they were giving me updates continuously on how well she was doing. She didn't even need breathing apparatus to get a breathing. She was breathing all by herself. The doctors were even amazed by how well she was doing. But as I lay in bed at night, I had this instinct, and I, I can only believe that it come from God that... Something inside of me was like, this child has been given to me by God and that she is a gift for me. And I remember just being in tears and overwhelmed with emotion and just calling out in praise and thanking God for this wonderful child he's given me. As I started to get more able and could be released from my bed, I stayed by her side for every single day. Eventually, I was discharged. Um, but prior to that, sorry, I just want to go back. When I used to look at her, I was like looking at her hands and her, and I was like, whoa, their hands and whoa, their feet. And I even was in awe of her first dirty nappy. I think it must have been like when Adam first saw Eve and he was just like totally, in total amazement. But whilst one morning I was, on the 21st of November, I was getting ready to go to the hospital, I was called urgently. My baby wasn't well. I finally reached the hospital and I looked at her and I just screamed. This beautiful baby who I was in awe of, looking at her hands and feet, her hands and feet were black. She had blood poisoning and all of her blood rushed from the ends of her toes and her feet and were going to her major organs. Her health was deteriorating rapidly. At 5pm, she had a heart attack and she lost 15 minutes of oxygen to the brain. She would have been severely brain damaged if she survived. Another 12 hours later, we had, she had another heart attack, and she was only being kept alive by the means of a life support machine. 
Now had come the hardest decision I have ever had to make in my life, which was the right time to turn off the life support machines off. As, we, I, turned on, as I asked the doctors to turn off the machines, she quietly died in my arms. The child I thought would never leave me had just gone. Over the next few days, my emotions ranged from deep mourning to hate, to anger, pain and searing loss. I was unapproachable. I couldn't make a sense of what had happened. Those days felt like months in between the time she died and when her funeral was. In this time, her granddad, who was a born-again Christian, assured me that Chloe was in heaven. He gave me a Bible. I took it, but I didn't feel no desire to read it. Secretly, I was angry with God that he had took my daughter away from me. A night before the funeral, I had her body back at my house. I stayed by her side all day and all night. I put her body next to my bed, yearning for a real baby to be lying next to me. I shouted to God, bring her back to life. But obviously this didn't happen. After a while, I stopped and something had reminded me about that Bible that had been given to me by her granddad. I've never read a proper Bible before. I don't, didn't know Genesis from John. But something led me to Luke and I came across this verse. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. That night, I was alone, all by myself. It was just me and the body of my daughter and this Bible. I hadn't read this Bible before, but I screamed out to God, Show me she is in heaven with you. And God in his goodness did. I had grasped that my daughter was in heaven and for the first time I had hope. In my mind I had to get to heaven. I started asking questions to Elise's granddad. I wanted to go to church. I went to East London Tabernacle and the minister there, Ken, spent time with me, coming to my house, answering all the many questions that I had. I started to do a Christianity Explored course. I was preparing to be baptised. In 2001, I had Elise. I struggled momentarily with motherhood, fear that she would leave me. So I stayed with my mum for support. I decided I wanted to be a working mum, Again, I was setting the standards. I wanted to be this great mum, so I was going to have my career, I was going to be a mum. But sadly, putting all these standards, it led me to go to church less. It led me to read the Bible less. The old me was creeping back. I was in a new environment. I was in the environment of work. There was a new crowd to, um, to try to fit into. I wanted the popularity back again. So the nights out were coming in, the drinking was coming in, until I stopped going to church totally. 
Something was still in me that was roaring to come out. And this takes me to 2004. I split up with Elise's dad. I got bored. I wanted excitement. I then come on to meet my loving husband now. We had so much in common when we first met. And the greatest thing was, he didn't hinder me in partying. He encouraged me. It was this, I had this smile going from ear to ear. At last, I'd met the man that had everything in common in me. But what I didn't know is that Grant already has an addiction in place. And all of a sudden, there started to become an addiction that was growing in me. Something that started off socially. When my daughter was away at her nan's, we'd go out, and then, we'd be, and then it would be once every two weeks, then it went to once every week. And then it would go from one night to two nights to three nights. We started from something that was socially to a full-blown addiction. It had gotten hold of the both of us, and there was no way of getting out. The nights out may have stopped, but we was, do we was carrying on the addiction at home. We had Honey Rose in 2006 and Blake in 2008, and this still didn't stop us. I remember once when we was at one of our lowest points, we started drinking a week before my, my, youngest, my eldest son's birthday. And we used to kid each other and say, we'll be all right, just be one night. Five nights later, we were still in the mess that we had created that five nights earlier. And it was our son's birthday, and we had nothing to present him but a couple of games. It was at one of our lowest points. We were at rock bottom. I started to recognise I turned into the same parent as what my dad was. My standards had become so low, I didn't recognise myself or who I'd become. I had no identity. I spent my life struggling for popularity and wanted to become someone. Now I had become no one. I wasn't a mum. I wasn't even a daughter to my mum. I was lost in addiction. Whilst my eldest daughter was at primary school, there was this one woman that kept on coming to talk to me every week in the playground. Her name was Jenna. And she, we started talking about things, because I'd still come across to people that didn't know I was in addiction. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, I believe in God. But they just didn't know what was secretly going on in the home. She said, what church do you belong to? And I said, oh, well, I haven't been to church recently, but I used to go to one in East London. And she gave me this book. She said, read it to your children. It's all about the promises of God. But I didn't read it to my children. I read it myself. And it come up with this in the middle. Life is such a mess. And that described my life. It was such a mess. She said to me, come to my church. There's a man, our pastor, Jerry, preaches a powerful word. Come, come. And I would feed her some lines. I'd go, yeah, maybe next week. I'm busy this week. But one time I decided to come. I came in and I said to myself, God, I'm going to put you to the test. If the 
worship is good here because I love mu music, I'll stay. If I don't like the music, I'm not going to stay. But I come here and the worship was amazing. I remember Ben standing up there and I, the song he sung, I think, was Lost in Wonder. And it got me and it got my heart and I just knew that there was something about this God I encountered when my daughter had died, this God who could heal the pain when my daughter had died, could sort out the mess that me and my husband were in. I walked out of church and I tried to escape as soon as the message finished. I thought, don't want to talk to no one, I don't want to talk to no one. But lo and behold, Jerry rushed out after me and said, excuse me, can I have you for a minute? And I thought, oh. And I spoke to him. And I started to come regularly. Grant didn't want to know at first. He was kind of like, you do your thing and I'll, um, I'll just relax on a Sunday afternoon. I think he come when I got baptised, which, funny enough, I was baptised ten years to the day that my daughter had died. It was a celebration. It was a celebration of what God had done for me then with her and what God had done for me now. He come to church, he watched me baptised. He still was not really too convinced by it all, but I remember one afternoon... And he was, in the, he was making food in the kitchen and he was like singing a song and I was like, he's got him, he's got him, I'm so excited. We got married in Golding's Church in 2010, which was the greatest day of my life. But sadly, when I come back to church, when I come back to Golding's, I returned believing grace would cover me, still indulging in drinking massively. And I fought this for around three years. It was, a, it was a slow and very painful process. I didn't actually think I had a problem with drink. I, I thought I had just a problem of everything that was associated with drink. But then one Sunday, Jerry delivered a sermon. And I remember I was sitting in here and I couldn't breathe. And I just remember this sermon piercing through my heart as clear as a knife. And it was as if the words that Jerry spoke was meant for me. It was directed at me. And I just knew that I was kidding God. And that I was letting God down. And I was kidding myself that I could have this relationship that was hindered by partying and alcohol and everything else. One thing I hadn't done, and I hadn't done truly from the heart, was repent. But when I did, and I can say five years ago, then that happened. I've been set free, and I've been set free indeed. It was hard. It was, it was really hard. There were nights where I've been beside my bed, screaming out to God to take this temptation away from me. In his goodness, he did. He persevered with me. He was patient with me. So that was five years ago. Five years, nearly five years, I haven't been near alcohol and I haven't been near all the other stuff that belongs to it. And you know what? There's only one praise that it goes to, and that is to God. So my life of my family since then has been dedicated to following Christ. My family have been restored. God has given back the mum and dad our children deserve. God has given me a beautiful husband who I love. 
and adore and encourages me daily. God has given me the most amazing brothers and sisters here in Golding's Church. You all don't know how much you encourage me and my family. I want to especially thank Kim and Jerry Sandy for walking through all the falls and picking us up and loving us and restoring us. I want to thank Tom and Sue who have always been at the end of the phone when we've needed you, been there when we've rejoiced, been there when we've been sad. And I also want to thank Mike and Hayley as well for spending time with us in fellowship and taking the time and never judging us at all for anything that we've come to you about. When we have been on the floor, you guys have strengthened and supported and loved us, and I thank you dearly. I love and praise God for all he's done in my life. You see, I had to suffer the tragedy of losing my daughter. I had to be in the pain of addiction for many years in order for God to be glorified in my life, in order for me to be healed, in order for me to be set free, in order for me to have eternity. Pastor John Piper puts it like this, but when God looks at a painful or wicked event through his wide-angle lens, he sees the tragedy or the sin in everything leading up to it and everything flowing out from it. He sees it in relation to all the connections and effects that form a pattern or mosaic stretching into eternity. The mosaic in all its parts, good and evil, brings him to light. So all the events in my life, good and evil, formed a pattern to stretch, lead me to eternity. His testimony is no credit to me. All the praise belongs to God. It was God who set me free. And what I want to just leave you with now, and if you didn't hear any of it, listen to this. You see, God who's in here, the, who was a God that spoke to Moses, to Abraham, to Jacob, to Isaac. When this page closes at the end, God doesn't close. God doesn't just exist in here. He is present today. He is present and available for each and every one of us. And he's a God who loves and restores and who redeems and who forgives. Praise be to him. Amen.